You are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. All right, welcome to the Storm Tracker Podcast. And I'm joined by our, our newest member of, of the team, Gio Milian. And of course, we've got Cribs, representing the Cribs, South Florida, Frank Tucker. And I'm Marcus Benjamin. And we got game two coming up already. And Southern Miss is the opponent. 12 noon kick. It's going to be nice and hot, hopefully. Uh, it's maybe raining or or there's a cloud that comes through every now and again. Um, fortunately, the, the hurricanes sit on the side or they're on the side where it's shade. And then that's really smart of them. Um, but going into this game, too, obviously it's 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 not you know it's not a with all due respect to southern miss this is not um a juggernaut of a of an opponent uh going into this game um but what do you guys think about this game the expectations and kind of what you guys want to see in this high noon kickoff well it's uh frank gore jr's uh, homecoming, back to the hometown of South Florida. Yeah, obviously we all know that uh, coming into this game. Uh, I think the biggest thing I want to see from Miami, uh, some more improvement, uh, more so from the linebackers, especially playing against the run and on the on the perimeter. Aside from maybe seeing more some some more improvement from from the edges as well. I feel like they kind of struggled in game one, Frank. Yeah, I, I completely agree, man. I, you know, their coach was making some some comments at, at the end of that game about, uh, you know, lack of support from the fans and was getting grilled on his coaching capabilities. Uh, they were going wildcat really early on in the year, which is not something that you ever want to see uh, from your team. Um, and, you know, Frank Gore is a really talented player. We're familiar with him from his time at Killian and obviously his dad's histor- historic career that he had in the NFL and at Miami. But, uh, I just don't think that there's much that they can really challenge Miami with other than a little bit of deception here and there. Maybe you bring in a lot of pressure uh, in regards to their blitz scheme. Um, you know they're going to be aggressive because they're gunning for an opportunity to knock off Miami, who's kind of moving up in the rankings now. Um, but overall, I think this is just going to be another tune-up game, getting ready for that Texas A&M matchup. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, oh, uh, Southern Miss – has like a really you know aggressive scheme so i'm expecting something to really offset that with screen type of plays so i'm looking for Keyshawn smith to to get going not just in the kick return game but kind of in the short intermediate passing game as well as xavier restrepo getting involved i could see Richard smith also getting some touches to really kind of loosen up that defense because you're going to have to do, do that type of or, or execute those type of plays to loosen them up a little bit. And then once they kind of, you know, see that, then you, you can kind of open up the playbook with, you know, some runs up the middle, that type of thing, or, you know, some, some, uh, some play action, that type of thing. So, yeah, I, I think uh, Coach Gaddis really has already kind of zero in zeroed in on that from from the from what I gathered from the press conference uh, this week and he said that 
you know, it's, it's not just being creative, basically. It's really just kind of um, anticipating what the opposing defense saw from you uh, in week one. And they didn't really show too much anyway. I mean, they, they barely went deep at all. Um, I don't even remember any real deep shots that they took, except for maybe a couple to Restrepo. So they didn't really open up the playbook too much. So I would imagine that this offensive game plan is going to be a little bit more creative. So you're going to see a little bit more of a variety from Coach Gaddis in the offense. So I'm looking forward to see that uh, on on Saturday. So, I mean, what, what do you guys think uh, the defense should improve on in week two? Continued yeah, effort. I'm sorry, Gio, you can go. Yeah, you know, um, basically what I had said before, I want to see more from the linebackers in general. I felt the the performance was a little eh from the linebackers. There was some good moments. Uh, Caleb Johnson definitely stood out. Uh, two tackles for loss by uh, Corey Flagg Jr. But, um, you know, it was interesting going into this week. Uh, specifically noticed that Mario Cristobal singling out guys, young linebackers such as Chase Smith and Wesley the Saints with their performances. And we saw it up in the press box. We were talking about it on the kickoff units. You know, Chase Smith seemed like one of the first guys down there um, on kickoff units just about every single kickoff when Andy Borregales was kicking it back into the end zone. Um, That's more so what I want to see. I want to see how much time and snaps those young guys get in this second game, I want to see the progression and the growth from them. I think I think it's a good challenge, especially the type of offense that Southern Miss has and they're going to be bringing into this game. It's a nice challenge for the linebackers to see what we really got that, uh, got at the position group. Yeah, I think for me, I just want to see more effort uh, from certain guys, uh, especially the edge players. We, I think we saw a lapse in development, really, from what we saw uh, in the spring and the fall in – and progression uh, for the edge players. Last year, one of the big things for Manny Diaz's defense was we got too far afield on a consistent basis and it allowed big plays in the run game. Uh, we saw that against North Carolina. We've seen it time and time again when, in games where we've been gashed. And it kind of came up again with quarterbacks scrambling around a little bit. You know, there was a few runs that they did get a chance to break through to that second level. Um, and, and tackling just got to get better. It's just got to get better from the linebacker standpoint. I think it has improved. We saw Caleb Johnson and Corey Flagg make some open field tackles, uh, you know, wrapping guys up and, and either holding on for dear life while somebody else comes or just making the play on their own. So that was encouraging to see. But uh, once again, it was against a Bethune-Cookman opponent that is even going to be inferior to a team like Southern Miss. So, um, you know, we just kind of want to see, you know, an improvement in play from the front seven. I think the defensive tackle showed a lot, but we got to consider we got to continue to see, uh, you know, how they're going to do without Leonard Taylor. Maybe uh, we'll see how you know if he comes back healthy in this game after getting a stinger. Um, but that three deep rotation is going to have to going to have to be important because it, it's obviously it's obvious that those starters aren't going to consistently be able to do it for us. Yeah, I, I think the fact that they they get two tune-up games before Texas A&M is, is a really fortunate situation to be in because I, I don't think this team would be ready to take on a Texas A&M if this was the season opener. I feel they needed these two two games to really kind of 
knock out the Kings for that particular game. And and because of that, I think they'll be ready to play on uh, in, well next week and next week and a half or so. So next thing I wanted to kind of talk about was some defensive players that are seem to always stir up controversy. Um, and that is DJ Ivy. Now DJ Ivy's been one of the, you know, one of the players that has seen consistent playing time over the years. Let me just say that, that um, got the start again on Saturday. And I think at times he, you know, uh, let some plays, uh, you know, go or, or, or he, he wasn't in right, right position, uh, I should say. And, and um, gave up some, some underneath uh, catches or whatnot. And there's been a lot of talk about Daryl Porter potentially replacing him, uh, maybe Al Blades. Who knows? But uh, what are you guys' thoughts on on DJ Ivy and and if he should keep his starting position? Uh, Frank, you go. Yeah, for me, I, I think we've seen enough. Uh, we heard all the talk, uh, you know, leading up to this game on you know how how much he's he's improved from from the previous uh, regime. Um, you know, he was named a captain in this game, a defensive captain, and. You hear coaches talk about it. When you're a senior, you want to see big plays happen. You want to see him step up and set the tone. And I just don't think we've even seen that from Ivy at any point in his career. Even when he's doing things to where coaches are asking him to do, to he's doing exactly what he's asked to do, right? There's just no flash plays. We don't ever see that interception. We don't ever see him utilize that that massive frame and that athletic ability that you know kind of got everybody excited when he was coming here uh, as a homegrown kid. And I think you got to give somebody else an opportunity, especially going into a huge game that is Texas A&M next week, right? You give Daryl Porter a chance to acclimate himself as that true number two corner behind Tyreek Stevenson. And honestly, even Tyreek Stevenson disappointed a little bit in that game. He allowed a, a nearly 50-yard catch along the sideline, got, got kind of blurred a little bit, how, how kids like to say it here he in did. South Florida. But, um, you know, I, I think overall there needs to be an improvement of play. Um, from both corners. Otherwise, we're going to start seeing some some Isaiah Dunson, who we know Gio loves, and uh, obviously Daryl Porter and Al Blades, you know, get more reps at in that, at that corner spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting stock into Isaiah Dunson. Uh, I had the chance to really watch him up close during the spring. A lot of high-rave reviews coming out of spring scrimmages, even uh, continuing on into the fall. He is a young guy. Uh, biggest thing I've noticed with him, he brings physicality. Uh, may not be the fastest of corners, but has the length and the size. Um, a lot of the same things we would hear about DJ Ivy, but, you know, as Frank elaborated on, I think it may be time for another guy to get a shot. But will he, though, is really the question. You know, um, I, I don't know if, if he will sit that first play of the game I don't I don't think so to be honest I, I think he'll get another start in this game to to show and prove himself we'll see what happens on Saturday because you know we didn't get the jump chart until game day so I'd imagine it's probably going to be the same scenario uh come Saturday morning I don't think he'll sit I think he I think he will end up starting 
uh, to be honest. But we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. And if he doesn't start, I think it's going to be Daryl Porter. I think Daryl Porter gets the start if DJ Ivy is not, you know, number one on that uh, on that depth chart. And I, and and I hear what you're saying, Frank. I mean, Tyreek Stevenson, he did get he got burnt on that play, and it was it was it was nasty, you know. <laughs> um, if that continues to happen, then we all know how Hurricanes fans are, and they're they're not very forgiving, and. And, you know, we, we, we may hear, you know, Isaiah Dunson, you know, to, to, to come in there as well. But we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, but yeah, I'm really looking to see who's going to be that second best defender anyway. Because right now, I think we could all agree that Akeem Mesador is the best defender on the team right now. I mean, he basically caused an interception, which led to points with a Gilbert Frierson uh, pick six. Uh, you know, was able to get into the backfield and pressure. He caused uh, a lot of pressure in the game. So, and he was lined up in, in different positions. So it's very versatile. It can be lined up inside and outside, heat up double teams if needed. But who is going to be that second guy? I mean, that second guy could be Leonard Taylor because he was having a decent game before he got hurt. Uh, it also could be... Corey Flagg, uh, Corey Flagg was named the co-defensive MVP by the coaches, and I think he was the second leading second leading tackler in the game. Had the most tackle for tackles for loss with two, or could it, could it be one of these uh, safeties? Because Cam Kitchens had a pretty good game from from what I saw. James Williams had an interception. So who is going to be that second defender to really kind of step up here along with Mesador? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my very safe pick. Uh, gonna play it safe here, and I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, Cameron Kinchins. I think this is gonna be his year. I think it's gonna be his coming out party. Uh, well, technically, you could say it was partially of last year. I have a very strong sentiment and feeling that he was one of Miami's best tacklers on a defense last year that was near the bottom of the rankings in regards to team tackling on defense. Um, I think he has a great command of the defense. I think he understands the defense very well and what Kevin Steele asks and wants from his safeties. So I'm going with Cam. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a tie between James and Cam. Uh, obviously, there's some lapses in, in, in mental plays for for James at times, and uh, you know, just overall, James James is a big time playmaker. Though we we've seen it from his time in high school, we've seen it in that first game. Right, he's just one of those guys that can make plays in so many different ways. His versatility to be able to jump into the boxes as an athletic backer type player, overhang type player, uh, to being able to help us in two high settings as well is extremely, extremely important in this, in this very diverse Kevin Steele defense. Uh, You know, obviously Cam Kitchens is the guy that does everything right. Uh, We saw him go push off the hash to make that, make that diving interception near the sideline, huge play. Huge play, kind of set the tone for the defense for the rest of the game, despite having some issues uh, going forward. I think he was, in my opinion, the second best player in that game. I know Corey Flagg had a solid, solid performance, but just overall, Cam didn't make any mistakes from what we saw. He looked like a solid tackler coming from that third level of the defense, and that highlight level play uh, was was something to see. Um, obviously, they got to change a little bit of that mindset of the of the. 
of the turnover chain and stuff like that. I know Mario wasn't too thrilled with the penalty after the interception, but just overall, kid does everything right, and we've seen it from his time at Miami Northwestern. Two things from that I, I want to say is that um, I felt like it was kind of weird to not see the turnover chain. It, it was for me, I felt like I was used to it for like the last couple of years when I saw Cam Kitchens jump up on the bench and I'm just like waiting for the chain to come and it never comes. It, it felt it, it felt kind of weird. I, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, so I wanted to say that. And then I wanted to ask about James Williams playing middle linebacker. I know it's kind of like kind of a crazy thought maybe for some, but that seemed to where that seemed to be where he was for the interception. He was kind of right behind the line in the middle and he broke on the ball. I know he's, he's not your typical middle linebacker looking type of player, but he plays like one. And I know too, that middle linebacker is, is kind of a, they're known as the the quarterback of the defense. So I, I have some reservations about that if he takes on that role. But just your your thoughts on, on James Williams possibly playing middle linebacker. It, should he should that be something that Kane's consider? I don't think it happens. I, I I don't think it happens on a consistent basis. I just think that uh, you know, the staff and we've asked about it before in, in press conferences you know, about James' role as a potential linebacker. And they've been adamant about calling him a safety, right? Like, that's something that they they yeah. don't shy away from. Uh, they say James is a safety that's going to play a versatile role for us. Um, I think there are going to be times where they try to get more athletes on the field. Like, if you if you want to put Frierson on the field, you also want to put both, you know, Cam Kinchins and Avante Williams and James on the field. He's going to have to play a linebacker-type role. Now, I don't think that's something that you can – start off the game with I think you're going to have to put some guys in there that are typically in that room on a you know on a more consistent basis but yeah I think you're definitely going to see him you know playing some snaps there I think even in the red zone if there's a tight end that bumps out wide you could see him even at corner a little bit I think that Isaiah Simmons type role is a potential uh, possibility that we've talked about in the past I just think there's going to be less plays at linebacker for him than than Simmons did at Clemson um, I think that that star position is is molded for James Williams, um, except for third and long type situations where Corey right. Couch is that guy. Agreed. Yeah, I I second that what what Frank had said. Um, totally with that. I don't think it would be a permanent move. Uh, James playing linebacker just throughout the entirety of a game. But in certain situations, yeah, very similar to how they're handling uh, Gilbert Frierson and Sikori Couch, uh, depending on certain personnel packages from the opposing offense. I think that's how they will go with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I just want to throw it out there because I know a lot of fans and then and people are kind of thinking about it and just want to see him utilize to the best of his ability, you know, and I think closer to the line, I think everyone can agree that that's where he's he's most versatile or can be used to, to the best of his ability. So I uh, just do want to talk about the weekend. It's been, you know, it's it was the first weekend of college football. I mean, it's it's one of the best moments, uh, I think, for, for all college football fans. Uh, I always enjoy the first weekend of football, especially since there's always 
high profile games now in this first week. And it was a nice showing from the big three in Florida, of course, Miami with their, you know, putting up 70 points and just total domination, no punts, 10 touchdowns, three turnovers. And also Florida, a surprise to some, actually committed, uh, actually um, pulled off the upset over Utah. Maybe Utah might have been overrated. Who knows? I mean, they did win the Pac-12 last season but they went into the swamp and by the way frank i need to remind you that uh yeah you owe me some wings bro (laughs) i do do. (laughs) yeah yeah i was i was trying to tell you man like i hate rooting for florida um probably the team that you know i don't like the most no actually i'm gonna cross out the word probably in that sentence but i i mean the swamp at night is is tough to it's tough to win in that type of environment and Pac-12 teams usually don't travel well. Like when they travel to the East, to, to the East coast or this, or the South, they usually don't perform well. So I know Florida was subpar last year, but Hey, we saw what Anthony Richardson did at quarterback. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a hype train going on for him now. And Florida State had a also a very surprising win over the weekend, beating LSU. And they did that in the Superdome in New Orleans. So it's basically a de facto home game for LSU. And they went in there and won the game. And they were leading, I think, for the entire game, if I if I'm if I'm not uh, mistaken. So it's not like I mean, yeah, the way it ended was kind of fluky albeit they were driving to score another touchdown at the end of the game to really put the game away. And then they fumbled the ball and then LSU has a chance to kind of, uh, you know, make, make this uh, overtime game. And then the extra point is blocked. So Florida state and the Knowles walk away with a victory. So surprise, surprise, the big three goes three for three here. But I want to ask you guys just your opinions on those games and then what that really means for recruiting in the state. Yeah, I think it was, they, those were huge games for, for both head coaches. Uh, you know, Billy Napier, I think a lot of people were starting to jump off the Billy Napier train really early. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then obviously, you know, Mike Norvell, Canes fans love to roast Mike Norvell, uh, you know, on, on the recruiting trail and, yeah. And, and just overall, just losing games to Jacksonville State like they did last year. This is not that. You know, they scared money LSU. don't make no money. Scared money don't make no money for Billy Napier. Yeah. And uh and Mike and Mike Norvell, I think that was the biggest win of the weekend for for any of the big three teams was that win against LSU. They went in and beat LSU with a with a new head coach. Um, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of uncertainties along along the trenches. Uh, you know talent kind of left out through the building like Jarvis Brownlee due to NIL stuff going on. So there was a lot of issues going on for FSU coming into this season. And, and to get that win late, pull it out, despite the fluky nature of it, I think is huge for them in recruiting. Plus they had Hakeem Williams at that game, right? Not an official visit type thing. I don't think the coaches were able to talk to him, but to see FSU be able to pull out a game like that, I think that's going to be big for them in recruiting. I don't think it's – like Miami's in a position right now where I think 
they're going to be locked into top guys going forward, no matter what happens with the other two teams. But it, listen, it makes the trek a little bit tougher uh, when those two teams are winning a little bit. And, yeah. you know, I think we could see Florida as one of those teams that could jump up in the rankings, you know, higher and higher if they continue this momentum. Obviously, they're not going to win the SEC this year or anything along those lines. But if Anthony Richardson, you know, gets starts to get nominated for some awards with that hype train that you were referencing and, you know, Billy Napier kind of breaks off eight, nine wins in a year where they were supposed to be really bad, you could you could have some battles. You could have some battles down the line. Definitely. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. Um, on Florida State's end of things, um, I know we all have our opinions of the way that game ended, uh, especially uh, I know I saw – a quote coming from Mike Norvell today saying that he felt his team left 18 points on the board. Yeah, I could definitely see that watching that game pretty extensively. I uh, felt like Florida State left a lot on that field, even though they did come out with a win. Uh, in regards to recruiting with them, I can see it definitely helping them out with guys like Hakeem Williams and Jalen Brown that they're still chasing. Uh, that could definitely help spring them up, especially a head-to-head -head battle, Florida State and LSU for Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown currently committed over there with the, with the Tigers. Um, but in regards to Florida, I want to specifically comment on Anthony Richardson. I had the privilege of watching him at Mark Rick's uh, football camp. This was back oof, before Anthony even signed with Florida, he, before he was even committed. A uh, little background on Anthony. He's actually originally from the Dade County area before he moved out to Gainesville. But I saw him at that camp. Thought he had a pretty big arm and whatnot. Great athlete. He's always been a great athlete. Uh, I want to see more from him as a passer, though. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying that. I, he didn't have any touchdown passes. I thought he was great with his legs in that game against Utah. He really kept that game alive for the Gators. Uh, in regards to recruiting, Florida is doing pretty well. They've have, they have a pretty good class, but I'm with Frank on that, that those battles could get tougher for Miami with the Gators, if Florida keeps on pulling off some wins this year, you definitely see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Florida is still in the lead right now as far as the 2023 class. You think they end up with the top class in Florida? No, nah, no, nah, I don't. I, I think they got the, you know, they have more players committed than Miami right now. Um, and I think that Miami is going to get some bump, bump up recruiting wise with like guys like Bobby Washington um, you know, and, and I think that there's going to be some guys that commit later on in this class with some potential flips that put Miami in a position where they're going to surpass Florida. I think Florida's kind of at their peak right now. Uh, they're, all, you know, maybe if they get like a, a Jalen Brown or something like that, I, which I doubt happens, um, you know, somebody from South Florida that they could grab, maybe, uh, I just don't see them in the conversation for a lot of five-star type players. So I think, Miami's got a higher ceiling in this class, and I think that they pull through with a lot of those recruits. I'm still on the Samson Okanola train to Miami. I'm still on, you know, potential Brandon Ennis, Mark Fletcher to Miami. Um, you know, there are still a lot of dominoes that could fall for Miami, not so much for Florida. What do you think, Gio? You think, uh, you think Florida ends up with the top class for 23? I, I, I have this personal take. Um, and Miami fans don't hate me if I say this. Uh, there is a certain lore with the SEC conference, and I've always seen this for years, watching recruiting, covering it. I see it with all the kids. There's definitely a certain lore with the 
for the SEC conference. Obviously, that kind of goes out the window if Florida doesn't really have a good season. It's still to be determined. It's still early on in the season, week one. Uh, yes, big win for the Gators. It gives them some momentum, but I'm with Frank on that. It, on the fact that Miami is playing more high profile than Florida is right now, realistically. Uh, that can change with time, depending on how the season goes. Uh, really comes down to on-field play. Really does. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take Miami right now. You take Miami right now? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think Frank hit it on the head with uh, the amount of recruits uh, that they have. And I think Miami has more room to gain uh, to close out the class. And there's still a lot of guys that they could potentially get here. And a lot of high profile guys that I think they still have a legitimate shot to get, including David Hicks and Cormani McLean. I still think Miami has a, a real legitimate shot to get those guys as well as Damari Brown. Um, and we didn't mention Chris Johnson running back. I think Edwin Joseph, Edwin Ed Joseph, Joseph hit, if he gets a bump. Yeah. Edwin Joseph now got finally got offered. I know we're all happy about that, that he finally got offered by Miami. Um, likely going to be playing DB, but he's over there at Chaminade playing both ways, excelling. Um, albeit he is getting those looks because, you know, he's playing with two five stars with him and, and he's starting to get, you know, a lot more looks and, and really getting the opportunity to put his talent on display that maybe, you know, others outside of this podcast haven't seen. <laughs> um, so he is a definite possibility. Of course, uh, Frank had the inside on, on, uh, on King Mac and Conrad Hussey still being pursued by Miami as, as you just mentioned, Mark Fletcher and Brandon Ennis still, you know, on the table as well, even though they're committed to Ohio State. Maybe Cornell State, too. Yeah, so it's just it's just a lot of possibilities. And Miami, I, I mean, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Miami ended up with a top five class in officially year one for Cristobal. I, I wouldn't count that last class as an official Cristobal class. I mean, he kind of finished it off uh, impressively, but hey, we didn't even bring that Ruben. What's that, Gio? Ruben said, uh, we didn't he said we even, him up. Yeah, yeah, we didn't talk about Ruben. Man. I think I think he's due for a bump. You think what? I think he's due for a bump. I still didn't hear you. What <laughs> he said? He said he thinks that he's due for a bump. Oh, do for yeah, a bump. that potential, yeah, yeah potential, yeah. potential five star, and if he ends up in Miami's class too, that'll be a huge, huge boost in in, in the rankings as well. I've actually been saying that for about a year now uh, that he should be considered a five star, and is even more evidence when he dominated against IMG. I mean, that's top level competition, and he was a, a, a huge difference maker. And I doubt Central wins that game if he doesn't play in that game. So, so yeah, definitely Ruben Bain. I still feel like he is going to end up with Miami's 2023 class. And while we're on that, I kind of want to talk about that whole recruiting lounge that's at the, uh, the University of Miami's football games now. I think that can potentially be a game changer for, for the Hurricanes. 
uh, talking to some people. Uh, they, they like the two um, individuals that came over from Texas A&M, their names escaped me, but they were saying that that is, is, is definitely something that will set them apart from other schools in recruiting. So, um, I mean, Coach Cristobal alluded uh, today that even Oregon didn't really have something similar to, to what Miami has before and after games. It's basically like a, you know, like a chill lounge type of thing for uh, recruits and families and coaches to kind of hang out. And I was hanging out in front of that the recruiting lounge before the game. I was um, melting uh, by the minute in that sun. But um, I was able to see coaches go in there and, and a lot of players come in and out, including Tyler Williams, who was on, on a visit to the Hurricanes, and as well as you know, Christopher Johnson, Antoine Jackson, and Ruben Bain, who was all decked out in all Canes gear. So I definitely think that Miami can hold off Nick Saban and Alabama for Ruben Bain if they just continue – to win um, that Texas A&M game, I may be going out on a limb saying this, but that Texas A&M game could be the biggest game for Miami when it comes to recruiting, probably in its history, <laughs> because that losing that game could be potentially devastating for a guy like Cristobal trying to, you know, sell the program. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a hot take, I guess, a bold statement, but I think it really does loom large because if, if they potentially lose that game, then I think the perception will be same old hurricanes. I think that would be the perception, like maybe just above average of a team but not to where the hurricanes fans want the team to be which is among the elites and if you can beat a texas a&m on the road and we'll see how a texas a&m even is by the end of the season my guess is that they're not even really a, a sixth ranked team in the nation but still it's just the perception of winning and going on the road and, and getting a big win like that, I think is, 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 is huge for the program in recruiting. Yeah, I could agree with that. I second that. Um, I just to piggyback off of a point that you brought up Marcus and you know, that, that phrase of same old hurricanes. Um, sometimes Canes fans don't want to believe it, but among prospects down here in South Florida, uh, that is a bit of a saying that, you know, when Miami goes on a losing streak, a lot of kids are like, oh, here we go. Same old Miami. And, you know, it, it's, it's a hard fact for some fans to accept, but Miami has had quite a bit of troubles uh, just trying to average being a good team from year to year. It's yeah. hard to sell a program when you average seven or eight win seasons and you only have one 10 win season in the last 20 or so years. Yeah. Um, it sucks to hear that fact, but it is a true statement. And, you know, it's it's something that Miami even fought in that 2017 season with Mark Rick. You know, they were having to turn kids away at the door 
Uh, Miami went on that losing streak to end the season, uh, back to back to back, Pitt, Clemson, and you had Wisconsin in the bowl game, and Miami lost out on some guys to close that cycle out. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the other side of this. Um, I think that a win isn't necessary in this game. Obviously, you want to look competitive. Uh, you want to keep it, you know, within, you know, two scores. Um, but I just think as long as they don't get completely outmatched, I don't think it affects recruiting that much. There aren't that many recruiting battles that Miami has right now with, with Texas A&M in this class, right? Like there's no Shamar Stewart that we're, we're gunning for that is a favorite to end up at Texas A&M, in my opinion. So I think if, if it was an Alabama or if it was a Georgia or something along those lines, I think we'd be in a different conversation just because of the, the, the constant battles that we've had in 2023 but um you know I, I don't think that these recruits are expecting a national championship or even to be considered a college playoff football team this season I think a lot of these kids want to come to Miami for the opportunity for early playing time and, and a culture change right and and I think a lot of these kids are of the mature mindset uh, we don't have a lot of kids that are that we're trying to win signing day or or, or look flashy by committing to Miami. I think it's a solid class with a really good group of kids um, that, that sees this as an opportunity to change a program going forward. So could you lose – if you lose this game bad, could you lose one or two recruits, you know, maybe three? Absolutely. Is it a bad look to a Ruben Bain? Maybe. But I, I don't think it kills the class, you know. I, I think overall Miami's in a really good position with everything that's going on in NIL with everything in regards to the perception of the program practice wise, the habits wise, uh, the, the, the caliber of coaches that they brought into the program uh, this year. Uh, I just think overall the program's in a, heading in the right direction and these kids see that. Um, and I don't think one game against Texas A&M is really going to move the needle either way that much. You know, I agree with you in the fact that they don't have to win the game. Um, but they do have to be competitive. I think they do have to be competitive in the game and they can't get blown out. And I think if they do get blown out, then I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to end up a four loss season. I think if they do get blown out, but if it's a close game where they win, this is a team that could potentially finish the season with 10 wins. It that's, that's more that's more my point it's more about the perception of the team because right now you can say the elite college football teams are the past five to seven years clemson alabama ohio state georgia maybe you can throw lsu in there maybe since they won a championship ohio state eh. yeah those are kind of the elites of the elites and we're not there and we're not we're not close when it comes to win totals, championships, or even players to, to be put in the NFL. We're in this group of, with Texas, USC, um, I would say Florida State, Florida. We're in this kind of group of, yeah, we have this history. We have put in, put players in the NFL in the past, and we have some players obviously in the league now but we're not among the elite. And I think the, now this, this doesn't mean that, okay, since you beat Texas A&M, all of a sudden you're elite, but in the minds of these prospects, 
I think you may be on that path if you beat Texas A&M. If you don't, or if you, you know, if you, if you get blown out, then there's no chance in their minds that you will be getting to that elite class. So I think the potential of the perception of this game is, is magnified in my mind. Because of yeah, those- I, I agree with you, Marcus. Um, you know, I totally missed that point when I was speaking before and I want to piggyback right off of that. What you said was, I don't think it's necessarily that Miami has to win that game. It's more of how they look in that game. And that was an issue before in the past that Miami had was when it came to playing a good or decent or even a great team, Miami looked completely outclassed. And, you know, recruits and kids see that, (coughs) excuse me, and they start to question themselves. They're like, why do I want to stay home? Why do, I, why, why do I want to play in Miami when I could go to Georgia? I have, a, I have an option to go to Georgia. I can go to Alabama. They're winning consistently. Um, it's more of selling that you can compete. You can compete. You could play with the top teams. And I think Marcus is right on the point with that. Yeah. And, and to be honest, that Florida State win is pretty good for the conference. And for Miami, because the fact that they beat LSU in somewhat of a neutral field uh, and the fact that Florida State is obviously on our schedule every year, but, you know, that we get to play Florida State is really great for the conference and really great for Miami. Because when you when you before this season started, you kind of looked up and down the schedule and you're like, okay, so what are the prove it games on this schedule. And then obviously you point towards Clemson and then you point towards Texas A&M. Now it looks like Florida state is going to be one of those prove it games as well. I mean, it always is because it's a rivalry game, one of the best rivalries in sports, but now it becomes, okay, well, you know, Florida state took out one of the so-called powers of the SEC and then Miami, if they beat Texas A&M and then beat Florida State okay so now you feel like okay this is a team that could potentially win a national championship in maybe a couple of years or so you know uh, I think that's the perception that will be looked at from prospects and kind of from your general fan so well that's a question I want to pose to to both of you do you believe that college football is better when the big three is better when, they, when they're all competitive and good? I, I think so. Of course. I definitely think so. I mean, I I definitely think if all three teams are good, then, I mean, in the next couple of years, Miami's going to play Florida back in back-to-back years. I believe it's back-to-back years. I know they're playing next year. So you're playing Florida and Florida State, who potentially are still, you know, of – the best of college football, it's going to look great for the sport overall. Yeah, I think I think anytime Miami, Florida State, and Florida are competitive, it brings back the 80s and 90s where, you know, college football was fun, right? There was some parody, right? There was, there was some, there was, it wasn't the same thing on a year-to-year basis. I think it's time for college football to get back to where the big three, the USC's, the Texas's, the 
even the Nebraskas after they fire after they finally fire Scott Frost, you know, to get back to potentially what is uh, old school college football. And you know, I think the rivalries will renew. Like, I, like we we love to watch Florida State Miami, right? But that game day atmosphere hasn't been there in a little bit. You know, it, it hasn't really been that game competing. That that game doesn't complicate. Uh, you know, the national rankings in a lot of different ways in past years. And, and that's been disappointing to see, right? Like we're, 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 we're all fighting for the bottom of the barrel uh, when we're playing these games. And, and I think we want to get back to the point where these games are national championship magnitude type games. And I think, uh, I think college football is moving in that direction. Yeah. Cor- correction on the schedule. So it's not next year. It's, it's the following year that they play Florida season opener at the Swamp. W. W. <laughs> I sure hope so. We'll see. But um, anything else, guys? Anything else uh, with recruiting that you guys want to just kind of uh, say before we kind of close this out? I think we pretty much wrapped it up, right, Fred? Yeah. I, one thing I want to touch on, we got, you know, Amari Wallace picked up an offer from Miami. I think that that can't be understated how big that is for Miami recruiting going forward. I think one of the big question marks with Miami right now in recruiting was when are they going to start touching on the young kids, right? Like when are they going to start looking at 25 and 26 and, and those type of prospects? And we saw Malachi Tony pick up an offer, a freshman who has been falling for American heritage. And we yeah. saw Amari Wallace pick up an offer. And he, he was a kid who had a game winning interception against IMG Academy in a close W uh, to kick off the year. So I think that, Miami needs to continue to build uh, progress with these local youth kids, same way they did with Ruben Bain when he was first being recruited by the original staff. We got to keep doing that because it, it would be incredible to have a top five class in 2023, right? Yeah. But you don't want to be Texas A&M, right? And, and kind of take a dip in recruiting the following seasons because you didn't continue to follow up on that recruiting momentum. So I like, I like the fact that Miami is starting to, do their research and, and, and offer those those young kids, offer those young kids that are really good football players. Yeah, watching film and evaluating. That's what it's all about. Uh, speaking on 2025, the running back at American Heritage, he looks pretty good too. Yeah. Byron Louie. Yeah, yeah. Man, Byron, Byron's a monster. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And let's not forget about Armando Blunt, 2025, who I think is an absolute monster and a must-get for the Hurricanes. Uh, who was at the game last week, by the way. So right before we leave, I do want to get predictions uh, for a Southern Miss Miami. Real quick, I did I do the forecasting, the schedule series, and yeah, I made the score prediction maybe about a month ago when I wrote it. My prediction on that story is 45 to 3. The, and I just want to point out as well that the last, the last game, I predicted Miami would win 70 to 0, but the defense messed me up you know, giving up. I tried telling you. I tried (laughs) telling you. I did say it. Yeah, so 45 to 3, I'm going to stick with that. 45 to 3. What you guys got? Uh, I'll go 52 to 13. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 55 to 10. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see who gets the closest on, on that score. All right. But that's going to wrap it up for the Storm Tracker podcast. Until the next episode.